Like a trusted turnout jacket you've had for years, Flex 7 Outer Shell Fabric delivers a perfectly broken-in feel on the very first wear. Flexible, comfortable, and powered with the strength of Enforced technology, Flex 7 Outer Shell Fabric is made to move. To learn more, visit TenkataFabrics.com slash Flex 7. Flex 7, powered by Enforced technology. Only from Tenkata Protective Fabrics. Seconds count when responding to an emergency. Minutes save count when documenting your day. Emergency networking makes records management easier and faster with its Fire and EMS solution. User-friendly, complete online and offline functionality, highly customizable, all at an affordable price. For more information, please visit emergencynetworking.com. Welcome back to another episode of Main Street Firefighting, a podcast by Fire Engineering. My name is Lex Shady, and with me is my partner, Chris Tobin. Before we get started, we'd again like to thank Fire Engineering for the opportunity and you all for tuning in. Tonight, we're joined by Sean Duffy with Ann Arbor Fire Department in Michigan. You're probably familiar with Sean from his teachings on the church, specifically his class, Searchable versus Survivable, and the social media page, Build Your Culture. We had the opportunity to pick his brain on a fire he had and what he learned from his experience. Thanks again, Sean, for coming on with us today, um, talking about building construction. I know search is normally your thing, but uh, you were kind of, when we saw you a few months ago, telling us about an interesting fire in your area, and that's what uh, got us to want to bring you on. But before we get started with that, can you give us, for the listeners who may not know you, a little bit of your background in the fire service, maybe how you started um, and where you're at now? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm kind of a nomad. <laughs> uh so I started, I, I've been in the fire service 18 years, like right out of high school. I went in and I went to my local volunteer department uh, where I lived and did about four years there and, and realized like, I like this too much. I should get paid for it. So um, I transitioned from there to a, a large county department uh, just north of there and uh, worked my way up from paid on call, you know, to part-time and all that and, and wound up working there a career. Did about seven years stent there. Uh, no ladder trucks at that point, which is all engines. And uh, about 2014, I made the the move up to Michigan uh, for the first time, which I realized very quickly you should probably do your research <laughs> before you move somewhere. Um, it just wasn't um, funded well, you know. So lots of layoffs and everything happening. So we went back to uh, to Florida. Wound up working for. Uh, you know, another county department there. And, um, you know, a couple of years later, my, my mother-in-law needed our help. So we made the move back to Michigan and, uh, now I'm working for the city of Ann Arbor. Uh, absolutely love it there. Uh, just tremendous amount of new information to learn, which, uh, keeps you engaged. So that's, that's pretty much it. You know, just every day is, is something I didn't know before working in that city, which is, which is absolutely awesome. That's awesome. Um, so for people who don't know Ann Arbor and kind of the culture of your department a little bit, can you tell us like what is the response to um, one of these Main Street fires? So when we're talking Main Street fires today, we're talking like those typical taxpayer buildings, right? The commercial on the first floor, residential on, you know, two, three, four, however many it is. What is your guys's uh, general response to a confirmed fire in one of those buildings? How many trucks are you getting manpower wise, all that kind of stuff? So... Ann Arbor is uh, it's pretty unique for the size of our city. It's about 27 square miles. The city um, obviously has the University of Michigan, 
which unlike other college areas, we, it doesn't have its own like campus, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Um, the, the entire city is pretty much campus areas. So, um, you know, you get a, a, a different amount of construction types, you know, anything from like fraternity houses, sorority houses, off-campus living, you know, in downtown or on your, any of your main street areas, you have like the older construction. Um, you know, it, 1886, I want to say, is when that city, the fire department was founded. Uh, so it is pretty old. Mm -hmm. For us, our, our response model, it kind of depends. So if it's not a confirmed fire, we go with what's called a still alarm. And what that means for us is, hey, there's a report of a fire. We're not really sure what's going on. Instead of emptying the whole city right away, let's send a couple units to either confirm or say, hey, there's nothing here we can handle. Mm -hmm. So what that looks like for us is typically your first due engine to that area. The next due engine, you'll get an aerial and then a battalion. And um, they'll send notifications out to everybody else, obviously saying, hey, you know, just FYI, there might be a fire. Mm -hmm. uh, if if we get there and it turns out to be a working fire, then we upgrade to the full box alarm, which would be your additional two units um, and an ambulance that the, that you get. And uh, everybody kind of goes at that point. So it, it just depends for us how it comes out mm -hmm. on the dispatch. If it's reported flames and smoke, you know, and it's kind of a no brainer that this is a working fire, we just empty the whole city immediately. So um, I kind of hinted at this when we started, but you were telling us uh, earlier this year about a fire you had in uh, a Main Street type building. Um, can you just go ahead and dive into that story for us? Yeah, um, absolutely. So this was, oh gosh, let me think back. It's been a while. So uh, I want to say January 20th, um, getting off. Um, you know, so I was riding the, the tower that day and, um, my relief was there and we're walking kind of to the truck. He's going inside and the tones drop for a smoke investigation, not abnormal for us. We get quite a bit of those. So wasn't really thinking structure fire at all. I don't think anybody really was. Um, and I remember telling my readers like, Hey man, just go get changed, grab some coffee. We'll be back in like five minutes. It's all good. And that really wasn't the case. So um, we rolled out and uh, I probably shouldn't say this. I'll get a lot of grief for it. But in, in the moment of being totally transparent, um, I, like I said, didn't think there was a fire. So I just, I just had my bunker pants on. Like, yeah, okay. And uh, we turned the corner and there was a haze and I happened to have the window down and it just smelled different. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm like, oh, well, there's a fire somewhere. So finished getting dressed about the time we pulled the air brake, I was getting my pack on and it's just a light haze in the street. And I remember telling the uh, firefighter I was with, I said, Hey, take this thermal scan, that building real quick. I'll be right back. And I grabbed the hook and the can. And there was a, a guy on the street that met us and uh, said, I think something's on fire in here. <laughs> Again, at this point, didn't really put two and two together. I'm thinking, hey, it's either in the parking garage that's attached to this building or maybe it's like a dumpster fire. It just, it didn't really have that distinct structure fire smell. Mm -hmm. So uh, grabbed the hook and can, made my way to the sidewalk, and I just happened to notice like the front windows were stained with smoke. You can hear faint chirping of uh, the smoke detectors, you know, so... 
made a decision uh, to kind of go just grab the 24 foot extension ladder, ladder the roof and, and see what I could see from up there before we did anything. And there was light smoke. I wouldn't say it was like pushing out. Now, if you read the, some of the articles, it's a little different. They, <laughs> they say that immediately we we were met with heavy black smoke and flames to the roof. And, and that's not true. That's, that's not what happened. So, um, Anyway, do a face-to-face with my company officer, let him know like, hey, we we do have white smoke pushing in the rear of this place. And, um, you know, it looks like, you know, incipient, like we might be able to get it. Mm-hmm. The challenge for us is that we couldn't do a full 360. You know, like I said, we had the parking garage on one side. Uh, we had a little alleyway that just kind of went in. It was a side door for the building. And uh, we had another business attached to it. And then on the backside, there was no access. So we really only had, uh, I'd say, the A side view and, and maybe if you want to call it a partial B side. And that's all we had to go with. Um, so we don't run dry on our aerials. Um, we do have water. So the the captain decided, hey, let's take a line and see if we can go get this thing real quick. And you know, we made entry and scanned with a thermal imager, found the uh, what we thought was fire in the ceiling and uh very quickly things changed for us so it went from like um you know moderate smoke conditions maybe down to my hip to increased heat can't find the fire right now you know captain already upgraded it to a second alarm initially just because it's a commercial mm-hmm. and um you know we just there's a lot of things that we didn't really put together i guess uh, until we were inside the building. So as conditions are are not getting uh, in our favor, we continue to ask for roof reports um, to see, you know, hey, something's changing. Obviously, we can't find this fire. We've, we're hooking ceiling, you know, and I got my hook. I'm trying to break through because, you know, it's all yellow on the thermal imager. So we know that fire is there somewhere. We just can't access it. And, uh, Nozzleman's spraying water and the water's just coming straight down and it's warm, you know, so it's not, we weren't really doing any good, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Fast forward a little bit, that went on for a couple minutes. Finally tell my captain, hey, uh, I <laughs> think we should go, you know, and, and he's like, we need ventilation. I said, yeah, if we can do vertical, you know, and uh, we just couldn't get to that vertical spot. So by the time someone was actually able to give us a different roof report, they had reported that flames were through the roof. Uh, and we decided, you know, now is probably a good time to leave. So um, shortly after, I don't know what it was. Uh, just It was just heavy. And it hit me square in the head, buckled my knees, took me to the floor. And I just remember being pissed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, I can't believe this just happened. And, um, you know, we, he picked me up and and we walked out and what I would learn later was that, uh, the engine company coming behind us, the, uh, the officer of that engine company, whatever hit me came back and hit him too, ripped his mask completely off his face. And, um, you know, that was about the time that they gave the evacuation order that the roof had collapsed and they wanted everybody out of the building immediately. Uh, so then from there, we just went defensive. We fought that fire for hours afterwards. And, uh, you know, ultimately put me out of work for several months. (laughs) So there's a lot to learn and it all happened so quickly. 
um, that now reflecting on it, I'm like, man, if I would have just slowed down a little bit and, and picked up the fact that like, there's a vape shop right next to us and, and how is that going to affect our fire spread and things like that? And, you know, it, it just, uh, it was a huge fire, um, as far as learning mm-hmm. points go. And, uh, for me, it was definitely a, a, a career fire. Uh, I've been to commercial fires before, but nothing of that size and certainly hadn't, you know, been hit by any falling roof debris. So, um, yeah, when you're injured and you're propped up, you got lots of time to think about it. So we'll get into that though. So you said that, um, there were some things that you had missed if maybe you had slowed down. What were some of those things that you missed? Uh, well, one, you know, me personally, I think I would have, I would have scanned the building myself with the thermal imager just so I knew. And I had peace of mind on that, but my mind was going so fast. I was like, Oh man, there's, you know, there's four of us. Typically there's three on all of our units. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we, if we're heavy for the day, we'll have four and this day. We, we happen to have four. So that's fine, but that's still not enough for, you know, everything we need to do. So, um, I think, since I'm I'm gathering information at that point, uh, I would have liked to see that. Second, this is a commercial building, right? And and you know I know there's many debates on this and and different feelings, and you know everyone's free their own opinion. But looking back, um, inch and three quarter probably wasn't a good idea. Again, we, I mean we only have three hundred three hundred something gallons on that that tower. So it's not like we could have pulled a bigger line if we wanted to, but, um, you know, so there's that, uh, we had drop ceiling. Mm -hmm. So we're looking on the thermal imager and we're getting a reading, but we also have an insulator. So maybe taking that, that nozzle and knocking down a big portion of that drop ceiling to get a better reading, um, you know, would have, would have helped us some, when you said you then, guys were pulling ceiling, uh, were you able to pull the original ceiling also, or were you just pulling that drop ceiling? So I pulled the drop ceiling, and every time I went to plunge the hook, uh, I just got a thud. Mm-hmm. And I was I was slamming that as hard as I could, and uh, I just couldn't make a good purchase point. And, uh, you know, I'd move over a couple feet and try and do it, and same thing. You know, we pulled down the drop ceiling, but I, I just couldn't get through, so... Um, you know, initially we had thought that the fire might have been in the vape shop mm-hmm. and we we're trying to make our way that way. But what we had learned later um, with that is that the kitchen um, of this restaurant we were in is the fire was actually in that exhaust system in the kitchen and the kitchen actually made an L shape and backed right up to that vape shop. So you know, maybe knowing how that building was laid out um, would have would have helped us kind of make our, our way uh, back to that fire a little more efficiently. But, you know, those are all things you learn after. Right. So. so now was that the uh, the duct was it? So was it actually a ductwork fire? And it was like the radiant heat or did it actually get out of the ducting and went into some like interstitial space? Oh, yeah. There was a lot of uh, void spaces that were on there. Like, like I said, this building was built in 1947. Mm-hmm. Um, so to give everybody kind of a picture of what this building looked like, it's um, initially, let's see, uh, I want to say about a little larger than 4,500 square feet, but they divided it into two businesses and it also had a basement. So um, 
when you look at that and then you look at the vape shop kind of cuts into that, that restaurant space, it actually reduces that space a little bit too. So uh, as much as that building got renovated from 1947 to today, uh, there's been changes in layouts and, and all kinds of things. So with that became, you know, they changed the roof and, and the ceiling obviously has been changed over time. And it was one of those, it kind of got into the duck and then spread into the spaces across the roof and just kind of just kept going. And we really didn't know how bad that fire already had a jump on us before we even made entry. Mm-hmm. We kind of figured that out minutes later. <laughs> it was too late. So I would say the concealment of that fire made it very, very difficult um, operationally and and everything else for us to do. So you said you had an, a, uh, was it an attached building on the Bravo side? Yeah. So the challenge, um, there's a couple of challenges with it. Obviously, one being the utilities, mm-hmm. being such an old building, we couldn't get to the gas to shut it off. We actually had to have the electric company um, or the utility company come out and dig up part of the street to be able to shut that off for us. So um, aside from that, we had a parking deck on one side, commercial building on the other side, and, and no access um, to the rear. So we're talking about something that is like completely surrounded. Uh, luckily, we were able to keep it to those two buildings. But, you know, typically in a 360, you might have been able to pick up a little bit of information. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we just didn't have that available to us. Uh, there was a small alley that they were able to find later. And they had crews and they popped that door. Uh, and it was just wall to ceiling of fire. So again, uh, something else that we learned later is that there was somebody in the apartment buildings that actually called it in watching this happen that probably could have talked to the 911 dispatcher and given us a little bit more information that we really needed. And that was just never relayed to us. So it, it made our decision uh, pretty difficult on, on what we had to do. What blocked the access to the rear? Oh, so there's just... If you think about how it was, it's just like a, a small little alley, like for delivery. Okay. So there's a church on the back side of it and everything like that. And it was just large enough, you know, from the street to get like a delivery truck down. It, it so wasn't just like very big apparatus at all, so. couldn't get back there. Yeah, no, no. We actually wound up uh, hand stretching lines down there later. Were there, we were there doors surrounded. on that side, I'm assuming? Was there what? A door? Yeah. Yeah. On the back side, there was one. One, one door on the back side. Does that lead like directly into the kitchen then? Uh, that would be my assumption. Okay. Um, I didn't really get to see that side of the building. I was mostly up on the front or on the, uh, the roof, uh, later on. But, uh, if I had, if I had to assume that that would be my guess of where that led into. And there was no one in this, this was a restaurant you said, correct? Yeah. Yeah. There's nobody in there, which was kind of weird. Um, when we went to go make entry, like we didn't have to force entry. Like I just pulled on the on the door and it opened right up. I'm like, oh, all right then. <laughs> you know, so mm-hmm. um it was it was that different. So once we opened that straight up, I just did the initial scan with the thermal imager and, and tried to figure it out. And um looking back at the video in that moment and knowing what I know now after the UL studies and, and everything else, um, is that uh we were we probably shouldn't have taken my clamp and uh, wedged that door open, um, you know, the way we did. So 
Uh, I, I can't say that that made an effect or if it didn't make an effect, but you know, hindsight's always 50, 50, right? Mm-hmm. So when you look at it, you're like, man, why did I do that? You know? And, and you just think about it, you're like, yeah, okay. You know? So that would be another lesson that I learned uh, from that is like, maybe, I mean, I have the the tool I needed, right. To control the flow bath and everything is, Hey, why don't I just keep that on the outside of the door and just keep it cracked instead of wide open. So before we were recording, you talked a little bit about the roof. Um, can you kind of explain to us what you were talking about now? Oh yeah. So after we, after I got assigned to the, to the adjacent roof to start flowing water and looking at this thing and, and how it's put together. And I just remember thinking to myself, like, man, the span between these beams seems really long. Like, what is this roof made out of? And we were cutting away, you know, um, some of the rubber roofing material and everything else like that, you know, and I'm like, what is the decking on this thing? Like, and I, I just couldn't find anything, like even in the rubble looking down at it, that would that would say like, oh, that's corrugated metal or, or you know, that's lightweight, you know, truss system there or anything like that. It was It was all gone. So I tried to find out, you know, I just tried to do some research and there's really nothing I could find out other than, Hey, <laughs> you know, it's just your typical commercial roof. And I'm like, well, what that, what does that mean? <laughs> you know, like I, I wanted to learn from that because right. like, you know, what if, what if during this renovation, they would have went with like a lightweight material, you know, and added that drop ceiling. And, you know, I just wanted to know what that was so I can look for it, you know, when I'm in buildings in the future and, and just that just wasn't available to me. And I still don't know it to this day. And you said initially there were crews that were trying to get to the roof to ventilate for you, but then couldn't. Is that, is that correct? Yeah. So it was that look, that first look that I took for that initial roof report was so quick. And it was just like an initial scan, like, okay, there it is. The location of this fire has got to be in the back in the rear somewhere. And then that's where we were trying to get to. And my captain kept asking, you know, and, and like I said, I'm not pointing fingers at anybody. I don't think it's anybody's fault or if it has it happened intentionally. It just, it was very chaotic in the moment because we're, we're adding additional alarms. People are on the radio asking, you know, like, Hey, this is what I got over here. Where would you like this line? Like whatever they're, they're doing on the radio. And, and our, our admin are the guys that are, that are in charge of running that fire. They're very smart and, you know, they're, they're very disciplined and they didn't get worked up or anything, but they got a lot of information coming at them. So mm-hmm. I think in the process, when we're asking multiple times for a roof report, maybe that just kind of got missed. We're stepped over by other radio traffic. I think everybody knew that's what had to happen, but the time from when we initially asked for it until when it actually happened, um, it seemed like quite a bit, gotcha. you know, I, I know we're talking inside as a crew. I'm talking to my captain. I'm like, Hey man, like what, what's the status of that ventilation? And I think what they decided later is that uh, we didn't have the ability to do that roof cut the way we would have needed to, especially with the roof being compromised uh, at that point, you know? So uh, I, I can't say if we would have got on it sooner, if it would have made a difference, mm-hmm. But, um, you know, it definitely would have would have been nice to have sooner rather than later. Gotcha. And that second uh, engine company that took the line in, did they follow you guys in through the same door or did they go in a different way? Yeah, they followed us through the same. So if you look, I wish I had a picture to show you. And I know you guys have seen the picture, but 
if you look at the front of the building, which would be the alpha side, there's two storefront doors. Um, the alleyway that we wound up going through is just like a, is a spot that they gated off just to have like extra seating when they got busy. Mm-hmm. And um, we wound up going through that back door and that alleyway there. So um, the engine company, when they came, they just followed right behind us. Um, and adjacent to us, which would be, if I'm looking at the door to my right, there was also another door. And as we were coming out, we peek, we poked that door open and you, know, you could see it on the video that just, it just super turbulent smoke just pouring out of that thing. And uh, that's when they were like, this is not good. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. We're not putting anybody in here anymore. You know, it, it's time, it's time to leave and, and go defensive. Now, did they pull the same size line or did they pull the bigger line? No, another inch and three quarter line. Yeah, there was there was only two uh, inch and three quarter on the ground at that point. So is there anything else after this fire that maybe either you and your crew or your department in general uh, maybe changed about their response or tactics or anything from this? Uh, you know, I know we we have done a lot of a lot of different options with like our deployment of like our hose loads and, and things like that and, and going for um, larger lines off the back of the engine, which now are set up to, to be a two engine and a two and a half with, with smooth bore. And then the other one with the combination, but um, you know, it's, it was, it's weird. I wasn't at work for several months and I know they did an after action review. Fortunately, I wasn't present for that, but uh, my officer of that day and I did talk and say, like, he asked me specifically, hey, what would what would you do differently? And, you know, I pretty much told him everything I'm telling you guys right now. Of, I can't speak for anybody else. I can only speak for myself. This is what I would have done. I do think that um, the mindset after that fire, had just listening to everybody talk around the firehouse and everything else was is just like, hey, you know, uh, maybe, maybe we do things a little differently, you know, but we're pretty good in our department about, uh, you know, the, the officers being able to make those decisions. Mm-hmm. Our chief tries not to policy everyone to death, which I know we all appreciate. Right. <laughs> but, um, I, I think if we had to do it again all over, um, some decisions would be made differently for sure. Do you think there was some confusion related to construction of the building or do you think your guys are all pretty well versed on that? Like, do you think if they would have known more about how that stuff was built, it would have helped? Um, you know, our officers and, and even our firefighters, we have a lot of smart people in our department and, you know, and, and there's not, to, to be honest, like there's not a single person that like I ever get on a truck with and I'm like, oh, great. Like, how's That's this awesome. going to go today? Um, <laughs> I, I trust everybody and, and their knowledge is, is pretty, pretty deep. So I, I think with, with that, what, what was confusing the most is one, um, we weren't sure of the layout exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, we didn't, we didn't really know that how it wrapped, how the kitchen wrapped to the vape shop. And there was a point in the fire where I remember pausing and the other fire say, firefighters saying, like, you hear that? I'm like, yes. And, like, the officer, too. And it was just, like, this really loud rumbling sound. Like, it didn't sound like fire. It didn't sound like – it was just loud. Like, it was hard to explain. Mm-hmm. 
And um, we, like I said, we initially thought it was in the vape shop, which we thought was what was giving us all these challenges of like, oh, you know, like all the things that you would find in there, you know, the the cartridges and, and things like that, like the whippets, like whatever, like this stuff has to be like feeding this fire. And that was what everyone thought initially. Uh, we, we later found out that, you know, that fire wasn't started in that building. So I can't say if, if that's what, what contributed to it or not hundred mm-hmm. percent, uh, but that's where all of our minds were at that point. So looking back now, knowing what you know, do the smoke conditions now maybe more so tell you that it was in those voids versus in the vape shop? Yeah. Like, so like, is that something that was maybe missed, you know, initially the day of the fire, but now looking at it, you can, you can see that. I think it was missed by me for sure. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't know what anybody else was thinking, but I know for me, knowing what to know about smoke and, you know, and I, and I, I understand, you know, people say like, Oh, you can't really tell about the color of the smoke anymore. We don't go off that little, this particular fire. Had I realized like, Hey, this smoke is Brown. <laughs> like I probably would have been able to be like, Oh man, that's structural. Like some structural components are on fire right now. This is, we got to get on this quick, you know, at least open it up. Um, you know, so yeah, for sure. I, I think, I think that would have been a huge factor for me. You know, we've all been on fires where sometimes the, the building just wins. Right. And, yeah. uh, you know, when you're going from the inside, I mean, you're pretty much operating the three principles. You're either going to have, you know, it's going to come down to application amount or, uh, access. Right. And it sounds like, well, I mean, you obviously had the right application. You had the right amount of water, but it was just access. And, uh, so, um, unfortunately when that happens, I mean, it, like I said, some days the building just wins. Right. And, uh, I mean, it's, it's just one of the, the void space fires, a challenge of that. I mean, you actually identified that, right? Like, I mean, you did your think about what would have happened if you didn't have a thermometer camera, right? You guys would have just been a lot of profanity and zero visibility. Right. So, um, but you were able to identify a heat signature, you know, up high, um, and then you were using what you could and it, just, it wasn't happening, right? Um, who knows what kind of ceiling you had in there? Um, I mean, it could have been a, a roof over. It almost sounds like that, especially if you're saying you, you threw a, a pipe pull up numerous times, you just got a thud. I mean, that almost sounds like the telltale characteristic of, of you had like a, either a rain roof or, I mean, it, there was no, you weren't pulling ceiling because you weren't hitting ceiling. You know what I mean? You're hitting the bottom side of probably one buys or something like that. So, right. Um, and like, like the big thing is like, who knows, right? Like we've all had a fire that we just never know what, why it was the way it was because just like Lex was saying, there's just so many variables that's been added on to, like you were saying, the building is super old. Um, you know, it's, what was it? What is that building? Like 80 something years old almost now. Uh, I mean, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's a Da Vinci code of building instruction and, um, that's, what's the most frustrating, right? Is you know, like, how do you take away from something when you, there's so many missing pieces, you know? Um, yeah, for sure. So, so yeah, I mean, uh, it's, a, I mean, this is a really good, this is a really good, uh, I guess, story for a lot of reasons. I mean, it's your textbook, nasty taxpayer type three legacy building fire and it gets up into a void space and man, you're just so far behind the the ball on those. Even if you are, I mean, like you said, you had, you had all the right tools, right? I mean, um, even on a good day, they suck, you know, 
I think this is a good example of that. I would think just how that building was put together. Like if I was able to process things a little bit better, you know, and, and slow it down, like there definitely wasn't any on the front. Right. And if you look over to what would be like the Delta side, like that's all brick wall because that right there goes straight up to the the parking garage. And then the Bravo side mm-hmm. is butted up against the other business. Right. So if there was any, um, it's, it was probably in the rear where I couldn't see them, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and things like that. So, uh, that brings up another challenge is like how, how not being able to do a full 360 mm-hmm. could dictate your tactics, do you, you know, guys, how they could change them. On a working fire, I'm assuming get more than one chief. Yeah. So when we do with the administration, so our battalion chief is coming with us no matter what, every time, um, when we do the administrative page, we get our, our fire chief, um, our second chief, and then, you know, anybody else who, who is available to respond. So, uh, if our training, um, coordinator is available, um, his role is kind of like a battalion chief role. Um, obviously he'll come out and he'll lend hands. He was there at this fire. And, uh, this is something unique. Um, well, I shouldn't say unique, but Something that we do in Ann Arbor is if we do have a working fire like that, aside from like the administrative notifications, everybody knows, like everybody gets a notification in their phone. If they have the system turned on, it says like all hands like requested, we have a working fire in the city. And, you know, it's not mandatory that you respond, but, you know, generally like if you're getting that, like we need your help. So. Oh, you're um, talking about like for off duty to come back. Yeah. So. Like this, this fire was at 6.50 in the morning. Now our shift change is seven. So our chiefs aren't really there yet other than the battalion chief. Mm-hmm. You know, so this is one of those times where it's notification like, hey, we got this working fire. Maybe they're on their way in from work and and everybody shows up. We had, I think, two full shifts there because we had the offgoing shift that all responded. And then the members that were coming in on the the incoming shift. Um, they all jumped on trucks and then responded. So we were fortunate enough in that aspect that we had all of our chiefs there and we had a, a large number of our firefighters there, but it still went three alarms, you know, and we still wound up needing more people. Mm-hmm. My question for the chiefs, do you guys ever send one of those chiefs to the rear? I know it wasn't uh, an access availability, if you know, for a full apparatus, but to get a chief back there to have eyes on the rear of the building, is that something you guys do? Yeah, if we're able to do that, we're definitely going to do that. Um, at this fire, we we actually had uh, our chief, one of our chiefs went um, to the adjacent uh, roof uh, to be able to get us that roof report and everything else like that. And then mm-hmm. we had um, we had some other officers that were actually up on the parking garage. Because what they had to wind up doing is stretch line up that stairwell, cut the gate, because uh, they, they have gates there so people don't jump off. Um, they had to cut that fence, I should say, and, um, flow water from up top. So, you know, if we can get access like that, we take a full advantage of it. Um, little sidebar is like at our, at our last fire that I was at that went multiple alarms like this. Um, our, our fire chief himself was walking around that building or that house. It was like condos. He was walking around that the whole time. And he would come back to us and say, Hey, you're not hitting it. I need you to redirect your stream. So he, he's really good about giving us feedback. Most of our chiefs are, um, which is huge 
for us, you know, so I'm, I'm definitely appreciative that we're able to do that. That's awesome that he takes the time to keep his eyes on the building too, and doesn't rely on, you know, something else. So that's, that's really good. So, so yeah, I mean, we, we obviously kind of do a lot of research on these types of buildings all over the country and stuff. And now I'll tell you what the prevailing, the prevailing story is it's, it's always in the rear. I can definitively say it's never in the front of the building. And that makes sense, right? Because like, what's think about what's in front of a, of a restaurant. Like what, what do I mean? What's even on fire? What could possibly be on fire in the front of a restaurant or most, you know, main street type buildings, right? Like there's just not really anything up front there. That's going to catch on fire. So maybe like some electrical in the pocket light, like maybe like a little, a little show display or something. If you do have a fire there, maybe being a little more suspicious of it. Yeah. I mean, unless someone obviously breaks the window and like fire bombs or something like that, or maybe pour something on the front door. But in every case we've ever really gotten into, it's always been in the rear. And that's, that makes sense, right? Because that's where the kitchens are at. That's where the heating and utilities are at. That's where the workers are at. That's where someone's smoking. Um, I mean, so uh, knowing that, um, I think a lot of places are starting to kind of maybe starting to pre-plan their fires that way to where, of course, they're going to always respond to the A side um, just because also there's a residential component too. So you don't want to miss anyone that may be in the building because they're going to probably come out that side. But also like maybe man, that second apparatus, instead of pulling up right behind the first one, maybe go around back or maybe like, like Lex was saying, send a chief around back immediately to say, hey, the fire is right here. You know, like think about how your fire would have gone if you would have found that that initial seat of the fire Im- immediately like how would that y'all still would have had the void space fire to contend with but at least it wouldn't have been fed as well you know if they would have been oh, able for to, sure. to get water down that 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 initial knock from from whatever door they can see from the rear um and like i said this fire is a good example of even if you knew even if even if like a, a maintenance man was like hey i have fire in the void space here above the ceiling like even if you knew exactly where to go it was still going to be a challenge right um, from, from the get go. So and these fires are super common. Like I was telling you when we talked about this in May, I mean, almost the exact same fire happened in my department in April, right? Fire in the rear, not showing void space, exact in the ductwork, the exact same thing. So this isn't something that's uncommon by any means. No, it's, I don't think it is either. And, um, I, you know, I know from talking to people around the country, some people send their first new truck company to the rear. Yeah. yeah, you know that that's what they want, either for utilities or access or, or whatever. And you know, I, I'm I'm pretty confident to say we probably would have done the same thing. How we might have even repositioned, had our driver repositioned if we were able to access to the rear, but we, we just weren't able to. Mm-hmm. Here's what I will tell you about this fire being on on a main street. Um, <laughs> it was so weird to me that businesses were still open. Like people were still going in and getting their coffee while we're stretching hand lines past them and, and stuff like that. And people are like taking pictures and just watching us fight the fire from inside these other restaurants. And I just remember thinking to myself, like, this is crazy. <laughs> like th- this, <laughs> it, it wasn't, luckily they, they didn't impact our operations any, but you know, from, from an operational standpoint, like that could be a nightmare. You know, fire on Main Street is, is bad enough as it is. Now you got all these other businesses with patrons in it to contend with. Like that, Yeah. you know, that's that's something else that I don't think we think about. Did, it, did anyone report a smelling like smoke for like hours before? It, it, no. Like, so. That a lot. Um, yeah, like at, at what point is like, at what point does someone be like, hey, maybe someone should call someone. You know, you're smelling <laughs> yeah. smoke since, you know, four hours now. 
So yeah, you would think. And what we did find out is that uh, that gentleman that was on the sidewalk, I kind of, again, I kind of dismissed him. I was like, yeah, okay, cool, whatever, because I got stuff to do. I listened to him, but you know, I was mission focused still. Um, that guy was actually the one who who realized something wasn't right. He was opening up his own restaurant for, or not restaurant, but store for the day. And, um, you know, so again, right. What would have happened? And I'll put this on me. What would have happened if I would just take in like 10 seconds to be like, Hey, who are you? What do you know? Sure. Yeah. Right. You know, and you know, so I, I would urge anybody, like if there's somebody meeting you up front, like, and they're trying to tell you something like, maybe you want to listen. Yeah. I'll tell bit. you what, man, especially <laughs> on main street. I mean, um, knowing your area, I mean, how are the basements connected? Right. Like that's huge. Um, say I, the, the, someone opens up their floor shop at six in the morning and they come in, turn the lights on and the lights flicker and there's a haze. Oh man, that's weird. Right. I'm going to call the fire department. Well, no, no one's to say that that fire isn't four doors down in the basement somewhere, you know, because everything's connected. Right. Right. So, so you're saying, well, now that floor stoner knows that. And like you say, if you just blow by him, you know, and, and don't get that Intel. Well, now you're, you're already think about how far far away you are from the fire and just how long is it going to take you to the reflex time to, to figure that out right you know you're, oh, yeah. you're stretching lines in the wrong in the wrong building and <laughs> that person's like oh yeah by the way like our, our basement goes across the street too you know so um yeah that would stuff like that's huge yeah. and, and like and I, I don't know like i probably shouldn't say this but whatever <laughs> i'm sure i'm 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 holding a 24 footer and, and a hook by myself and I'm making it to the building and I'm, you know, I'm throwing the ladder. And as I'm throwing this ladder, he's, he's like, do you want my help? And I'm like, no, dude, I got it. You know, and that's all he said to me. And that's kind of why I blew him off is like, he wasn't trying to give me any information and at that point. I feel like, Hey man, you're just in my way. You know, like I'm trying to trying to do some things and had he spoke up and said, Hey, I, you know, I called or Hey, whatever. Like, I noticed this, then, then that might've prompted me to stop and be like, what? Okay. Tell me some more, you know? And, and he just didn't do that. So, um, lesson learned for me is maybe just ask next time. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah. I mean, that's a good thing too, is like, ask yourself, like, man, if I just got one question to ask, like, what's that one question I'll always like, what, what would that question be? You know, and uh, that could be different depending on where you're, where you're working at. Um, but I mean, yeah, like the first thing, that I would ask, like just here is like, what is this building connected to? You know, like what's the connectability is, is, is there a, a walkthrough between the two? Because like, just because there's walls on the right and the left that, you know, restaurants do it all the time, right? They knock a wall out to expand their dining room. Um, and then, so, I mean, how now you're, you're thinking you're going into one storefront and you really have three storefronts of buildings. You don't even realize so right. like, like that kind of stuff, right? Well, preloading that information by getting in the buildings yourself will save you a lot of time too. Is that something you guys are pretty good about or maybe need to work on more, like getting in the buildings and just walking through them, not like inspections wise, but just to familiarize yourselves with the layouts? Yes, I, I would say that we're pretty good with that. Um, as annoying and frustrating as it is, our city does get a ton of fire alarms. So we're in these, we're in these buildings all the time. I personally had never been in this restaurant before, but it was a very famous place to eat in our city. Like a lot of people were upset because it burned down. So I'm sure maybe other people in our department had knowledge of that building. Um, I didn't, I can't speak for anybody else on my crew. Um, 
you know, but we try and get in as much as possible. And, and our department is really good about even flagging like hoarder homes for us. Mm-hmm. So like just recently, we got a whole list of hoarder homes in our first two. And my lieutenant was like, hey, we got to go drive by and take a look at these homes, you know, and, and see. And we're we're driving by and we're already thinking like, oh, OK, like, well, we can't stretch a line there, you know. And although we can't enter them unless we go on like an EMS run or something like that, we do have a good idea of the initial action plan of how are we going to get lines put in place. And with the fire alarms, um, we're in commercial buildings daily, multiple times a day. So that's the other thing that uh, I know for me is new, uh, you know, is I've never ran the amount of fire alarms I do now. So um, we do have that opportunity. Our inspectors and, and everybody else there, they're really good about passing information down to us. And, you know, I, I feel fortunate in that aspect because not everybody can say that about their department. Right. For sure. Yeah, I mean, definitely never never waste a run, right? I mean, I don't. Do you guys is your guys is EMS fire based or is it like is a private or third party? So, going back, I probably should have mentioned this earlier. We have five stations. Three of them are engine houses. Um, we do have two ladder companies and and one BLS ambulance of our own. Mm-hmm. But we have private ambulance for the city that does majority of that. We will get dispatched on EMS runs. And if we're there first, we're expected to, you know, start patient care and stuff like that. Um, so, yeah, we, you know, take that for what it's worth. I I don't get pissed off about it because, like, it just happened to us yesterday. We go into, you know, this apartment. I say apartment. It is really like a townhome. Um, wouldn't ever tell that it had, you know, slight hoarding conditions on the outside. But you walk in, you're like, whoa, yeah, sure. <laughs> you know, this is something that I might want to know. And, you know, so I always take those that, that advantage of that. Like whenever we're on those runs, even though we are a fire-based EMS agency, um, you know, to, to some extent, I look at it as like, dude, I'm still pre-planning for my fires right now. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, that's, you know, we have it built in our, our vacant building policy to where, um, EMS runs, you come out, you look to the, the two exposure buildings, you look at the one across the street and yeah, you do a little quick walk around. There's someone getting in this place, you know, something, anything weird. Right. I mean, and no, no one's expecting you to memorize all kinds of stuff, but, but maybe you're going to remember something when it matters, you know, at least it's in your brain as an, it, you know, you, you might actually remember it. Um, it's better yeah. than just get on the truck and leaving, you know? So but see, I mean, definitely when you're inside for sure, take a walk around and, after the call is over, kind of do your thing. Um, obviously, if it's a residential, it's a little different. But um, in a commercial structure, man, I mean, um, especially after business hours or before business hours, I mean, yeah, use that to your, your – I mean, especially if you have a new person on your company, yeah, show them around. Impromptu, you know, pre-plan right now, you know. Find the farthest part of that building and ask them, how are we getting here with the hand line? How are we getting here with the ladder, you know? So all, all good stuff, right? So, yeah, definitely. Um, another thing is roofs. How do you guys do that? I mean, how often do you guys actually, and everyone says, well, you know, I don't want to park the rig and block traffic and I want to get ladders out. Cool. Fine. Like you said, all right, we'll go up to a taller exposure and look down, you know, find a common hallway in an apartment building and just look out the window, you know, and like talk about the roofs, you know, I mean, there's so much stuff up there that you don't, 
you don't want to figure out when when you should already know. I mean, it's just it's it's the list is so long. Um, and uh, like the fire you had, right? Like think about how much information you could have gotten if you'd have known exactly how that roof, what was going on up there. I mean, just before, like I said, before you need to even send a crew up there, you kind of already know, man. This is this is that roof that has crazy, you know, um, has has roofed over, um, you know, sunlight wells, you know, like. If you already know that going into it, you know, stuff's not making sense. You know where the ductwork runs. Someone's saying the fire's through the roof. Well, is it really? Or is it maybe just coming out the ductwork? So right. that's a big one that gets people is the confusion of like it's just fire showing, it's not through the roof. So and I mean that's all stuff that you know. Like, does this restaurant run their ducts on the roof or does it run out the sidewall? You know, I mean that's like like Lex was saying, that's a big one to where you show up and you have fire blown out of what looks like three holes in the roof and it's just three ducks with fire blown out of them well which is which is not a bad thing because well it's contained in the duct work you know for now but at least that gives you some information right oh it does and and that's the thing is like roof reports are so so vital and that's why on this like when my lieutenant and I, or my captain that day and i looked at each other we both were like yeah we need to take a peek up there um sure. Because like you said, it does give you information for sure of where things are at. And for this particular fire, like I took that quick look and I'm like, that's where it's at. You know, so without even having been in this building before, I know my orientation to the building in relation to where I'm looking. Mm -hmm. So I automatically knew like, all right, when I go through this door, I got to make a right. And then I got to make an immediate left and head straight back. Like I knew that because I was able to look at the roof first. Cool. And yeah. I not done that and got in that building, I would have been totally blind. I would have had not really any direction of where anything really was because again, it's not like we're going in the front door. Mm-hmm. It's not like we're popping in the door and saying, Hey, just head straight back to the, you know, to the back of the structure. We had to go around some stuff to even get into the main structure first. So, you know, having that sense of direction definitely helps and, and understanding like, Hey, where is this fire traveling? you know, and, and how fast is it traveling? And, and all of that, I think, is important to know before you even enter. And if you can get that from a roof report, you're just ahead of the game. So Absolutely. do you think do you think having a two and a half or a two inch line would have been would have been a better choice in your case? Or I understand, are you guys running a minimum Quint spec of 300 gallons of water, you said, perhaps? Yeah. Well, which I, yeah. you know, hey, you know we, I work in Quint land. Um, it's always a challenge. We, we, you know, some of our some of our apparatus for quince, other ones are just pumpers. Obviously, they have 500, so we don't got to worry about that as much. But it's always a dilemma, right? Um, and I don't know how far along how the spacing is for your water supply. I don't know how your hydrants are spaced. But I would imagine in that part of town, they're not that far apart, correct? No, I mean, our city's really good about hydrants. Like, and I, don't know. I think we had like four or five hydrants like within 100 feet in any direction on this fire. Cool. So I don't know, maybe your drivers make them, maybe your fourth man makes them, or maybe the second company. But... Um, so that's something to talk about though, right? Is, um, it's kind of, it's kind of counterintuitive, but we're all trained to kind of stretch, stretch appropriately and stretch bigger after, right? So it's either going to be an inch and a half or an inch and three quarter, and then it's going to be followed up by a, a two and a half or a two inch maybe, um, if you have that. Well, so if we have what you guys have, where you have a, a an open dining room, um, it's a restaurant, you're thinking a little bit larger of a space. It's not all, it's not chopped up apartments, right? It's not storage lockers right maybe stretch a two inch um first and then if you have a component to that building like a second floor residential or or maybe a back area that is chopped up well maybe that second line needs to be your inch and three quarter so it's backwards right 
It's backwards right. from what we're traditionally taught, which, you know, like you said, you, you kind of maybe had already kind of rolled that through your brain a little bit, but they're like, yeah, you don't have that much water to play with. It sounded like access is going to be a problem. I mean, you're going to be flowing more water than normal with an access issue. So all stuff to consider, right? But definitely stuff sure. to kind of talk about on these buildings that that's the one thing that, that we, uh, when we, when we teach about these, um, that is kind of against the grain, right? So, um, the always going to the rear, typically they're in the rear, the fire is in the rear, but you guys picked up on that pretty quick. And then maybe think about pulling off a larger line first, pre, um, you know, followed by the smaller line it just depends on the mobility, you know, it depends on staffing also. Yeah, no, absolutely. And like I said, I don't want to discredit anybody else. Uh, I'm not going to say we made a wrong decision, um, you know, with the water we had and and thinking about mobility and how quick we can get to this fire and, and initially thinking like maybe this is just a small fire. Um, maybe that would have been the right decision. I, I you know, I'm not going to say it wasn't. But here's what I would say. Um, we have to stop treating commercial buildings like residential structures. Absolutely. We have to. You know, and, and I think if we can think about that and say, okay, this fire is different, you know, and because it's different, my weapon selection has to be different. And um, I think the two inch or even the two and a half is a little scary to people. Mm -hmm. um, for some reason, like I hear it all the time. Oh, that's manpower intensive. When realistically with some training and, and a little bit of, you know, knowledge, you, you'll realize it's, it's not as labor intensive as people think. Um, but Again, hindsight, if we would have pulled that two inch or that two and a half inch line, I tell you this much, I would have knocked down a hell of a lot of ceiling. And I probably would have been able to identify a lot quicker that we're not <laughs> we're not getting through to this fire, at least not from where we're at. Right. Sure. And that's the thing you too, know, is, so. is no, I mean, and those people that say that those are valid concerns, right? It is labor intensive. But think about what we're doing in in a commercial restaurant right a main street restaurant you're, you're not how many turns are you making think about it right, right. i mean we're, we're gonna go in we're gonna make maybe one turn maybe two probably not even two turns and we're gonna pin it to the floor and do what you guys were trying to do which is flow up above our heads so what's hard about that really nothing right once we get the line in play you can even dry stretch that depends on what's going on but you have the option right um sure and then like you said just just let it let it eat and then if you need more mobility, if, if you're like, hey, this is the tail end of the fire, the seat of the fire is still ahead of us somewhere and it's nasty. Ahead of us is a bunch of chopped up offices or the, it, it's not going to be fun. This two and a half is going to hold it here. We need the inch and three quarter to go around to the other side entrance or even through the same entrance as us. But they need to go past us and they're going to flow at grade and they're going to make a lot of turns. Totally fine, right? Um but all that stuff needs to be talked about and trained with. And that's the biggest thing is a two inch, the two and a half isn't scary. What's scary is doing stuff that's uncomfortable. And that would have been something that probably most departments don't train with, right? The tandem, the tandem attack with two different size lines, one flowing in a different spot than the other. How many places train like that? Oh yeah. Yeah. No, that's a good point. And I, I couldn't agree more because like you said, there's something to be said about the security of saying, Hey, I'm flowing a lot of GPMs right now. Like, yeah, right. we got you. Like, we're essentially what, if you think about it, it's like, you're the pathfinder, right? Hey, I'm knocking all this out of your way. I'm making your job easier. I'm protecting you. Just get that smaller diameter line to this fire where it needs to go. And we'll take care of it from here. Sure. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's so, just, you're just covery fire, essentially. Um, yeah. It is what it is. And uh, 
I mean, FDNY, you can you can look up their old stuff and that you can see them kind of doing that. Um, I mean, you can dig up the old IFSTA books back from maybe like the second or third edition. That's in there. I think they, that's like the picture of the indirect attack, right? Where they're flowing some flowing water over some, like a boxes, you know, like that. That's kind of what we're doing in, in a sense, except that, like you said, that second line is going to go forward a little more or or from a remote entrance. It takes some communications. You don't want to be opposing each other, not necessarily, but you don't want to be hitting each other with your with your host streams and stuff like that. But um, it all yeah, it all takes a little more communication, but it all just comes down to training. So that's really what it comes down to is this fire is different. It's not your normal house fire. That's not something you would normally do in a house, right? Unless it's a, a large building. But um, typically that's not residential fire tactics, right? So right. that's the kind of stuff that, you, like you said, you don't. You want, you want to fight this fire like it needs to be fought right. That's the kind of tactics you need to start bringing to the table. So, Well, I think that kind of sums everything up really well. Um, we appreciate you taking the time to share your story and kind of what you learned with us. Um, as we talked about, these fires, I think, are more common maybe than people think. So if they hear about one, they can maybe relate that back to what they've experienced or give them some indications of what they need to look for for their own buildings. Um, before we end, I know you're on social media, but do you mind sharing your contact information if anybody has questions about this or, um, your search stuff? And maybe if you're going to be out at any conferences or anything later this year, you can plug that stuff too. Yeah. Um, you know, like, like you said, social media, uh, my personal Facebook page is always a good way to get a hold of me. Um, I do run a other page called build your culture. Um, that's kind of our side thing that, that we started years ago. So if you need to get a hold of me on that, uh, certainly can do so as well. Uh, as far as search training goes, um, most, most of what people know, uh, me for is the searchable versus survivable program. Uh, that's the most common one people want, which, you know, obviously being biased, it's, it, I think it's a good program, but, um, I am starting to do a different program now. Uh, more based off of the rescue side of things, because I'm a firm believer that uh, anyone can search a building. That's great. But if, if you can't rescue someone, once you find them, like you probably shouldn't be searching in the first place. Absolutely. And there's a lot of misinformation about removal techniques, but there's also a lot of good information that can be backed by not only experience, but the studies from, from what UL have been able to prove to us recently. So I'm just kind of taking all that and putting it into a program of saying, like, I think as a fire service, we're we're pretty good at hammering the search stuff, but we're not really so good at covering the removal part. So let's let's talk about that more in depth. And um, um, I'll be doing that um, here in next month, in October, um, for our Fools chapter, uh, doing a training event there, and then uh, um, see what else I got going on. Um, See, so be doing FDIC in 2024. They they took a searchable versus survival program and did uh, did that as a workshop. Awesome. And so they gave us they gave me four hours this time instead of the uh, hour and forty five. So it'd be nice to kind of go in depth to that. And uh, that that's really it. Uh, we'll be doing a live fire search class as well at the end of October in Texas with some acquired structures. So that's going to be pretty fun. But. Uh, you know, I got some life changes. I got a another kid due on the way in <laughs> April, so oh uh, I've uh, 
I've had to kind of slow down a little bit and Maybe. free up my schedule for for that. So we get that for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, so if if anybody wants to reach out to me aside from social media, uh, Duffy five five eight at gmail dot com is my email address. Just know that uh, I'm not the greatest <laughs> at checking my email or or replying all the time. So if it's something you really need and, and you want to, you know, get on it. Sometimes you might just have to nudge me uh, one or two more times and be like, hey, I really need you to respond. And I will. So, Well, thanks again. We really appreciate your time. And uh, hopefully people were able to get something out of this. And glad you're uh, better and back to work. Yeah, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Yeah, man. You uh, you be safe up there and uh, have fun with that winter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you guys, too. It's a uh, rust belt. Yeah, you know, that's, yeah. that's where we live. Yeah, so. I agree. Yeah. You, you get the lake thing, though, so you can have it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Thanks again for tuning in to another episode of Main Street Firefighting, a podcast by Fire Engineering. We hope it was worth your time. As always, if you have questions or a topic you'd like to discuss, please reach out. Until then, stay safe and have a good night.